The second reading for the morning comes from the book of Judges, chapter 2, verses 6 to 23. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath-Heres in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtaroths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them. He sold them to their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. Unlike their fathers, they quickly turned from the way in which their fathers had walked, the way of obedience to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord had compassion on them as they groaned under those who oppressed them and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their fathers, following other gods and serving and worshipping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Therefore, the Lord was angry with Israel and said, because this nation has violated the covenant that I laid down for their forefathers and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their forefathers did. The Lord had allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. Here ends the reading. Good morning, Keith. Morning, everyone. Morning. Sorry to disappoint you. I turned up. I know that's... Uh... No, I apologise for... Almost missing it. Let's pray. Um, 
Thank you, Lord, for all things you've given us, in particular your word. And we ask as we come to uh, a difficult part, we can often find a bit difficult, uh, the book of Judges. We ask, Lord, that you would help us, lead us, help us to see of your faithfulness, of your endurance, of your courage and strength that you provide and the guidance you want to give. We ask that we might be encouraged, rebuked, enthused, uh, changed, and keep me from error, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, it is a difficult book. It is one of those books, the book of Judges. Why are we doing it? Well, it's in God's word, and it does follow on from Deuteronomy, not directly, but it does, and that's sort of why we're doing it. One of the things to do is one of the reasons why I do the book of Judges or wanted to do it is because it is a little bit difficult. And so if you can provide a framework, even if you don't listen to everything I say, which is I'd be surprised if you did, if you've got a framework when you read the book of Judges, you can get an appreciation of why God would give these stories? Why is he giving us these tales and how are they used by God for us? Because they are. It's about 1200 to 1000 BC. Do you get confused by that? I get confused because, you know, 1000 to 1200 is that way, you know, when you're this side of Jesus. But when you're the other side of Jesus, it goes backwards. Oldest is 1,200 to 1,000. It's hard for me to work that out. I don't know if you have that. But it's roughly 200 years. It's after the time of Joshua. So we got up to the time of Deuteronomy, and then Joshua was the, the taking of the land or the coming into the land of Canaan. But in this time, there are no kings. There's no ruling central government. Israel is not unified. It's all over the place. It's a time where they're dependent on specially gifted people that God raises up. And a judge is someone who settles disputes, as we might understand, internally, but he's also, in this case, is someone who would carry out God's judgment and help them against their enemies, which is often pretty much the stories that are in the book of Judges, though not all. The situation is, as you know, they've come into the land, they've tried to take possession of it, but in many parts they haven't. And that's the situation we find again and again will prove to be a real test for Israel. What do they do? How do they live with these people? And you'll see how they interact with them and what that means for them. But do you like ice cream? I love ice cream, but I love an ice cream cone. Do you like ice cream cones? What shape do you... I don't really love waffle cones too much. I just like the normal ice cream cones. Do you know the shape? You look at the top and it's round. So I want you to remember the ice cream cones. Remember nothing today. You remember the Book of Judges and ice cream cones because the cone is the key to understanding what you're reading in the book of Judges, believe it or not. 
The reason is that because you're going to find we're about to come into a cycle where the cycle goes around and it's a circle. Sorry, I can't make the circle. The top of the cone. And the same thing's going to happen around the cycle. But what happens is they happen as you go along in the book, in the story, but just like a cone. Do you know how a cone is shaped that way? The cycle, if you could chop it off and look at the next bit of the cone, you notice that cone would only be smaller as you went down. You know that, don't you, as you go down. I worked this out, Bill, in about fourth class. It took me a while, but uh, anyway. When you get to the bottom of the cone, what happens? It's a point, roughly. Hopefully there's chocolate in it. But if there's not chocolate in it, as there is in a cornetto, it's just the bottom. And that's what's happening in the book. You're finding that the cycle which happens and you're about to be told in Chapter 2, verses 16 to 19, I'm not reading it yet, but I've just given it to you, Verse Chapter 2, verse 16 to 19, the cycle gets quicker and quicker. And by the end of the book, it actually disappears into one point, in this case, mess. Because the cone, the cycle, is spiralling down quicker and away from where God is. So remember the cone. Remember the, the cycle. And remember how it gets and goes down. And by the time you read the last bit of the book of Judges, which I need to warn you is a complete horror story, a complete and utter horror story. By the time you read that book, you realise where you're at. You realise you're in a terrible, catastrophic, moral chaos that couldn't be further away from the God who called them. That's the end of the book and that's the cone. Chapter 2, verses 16 to 19. The Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of their raiders, yet they would not listen to their judges, as we said, but dead followed other gods and worshipped them. Unlike their fathers, they quickly turned from the way in their fathers had walked, the way of obedience. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge, he would save them out of the hands of the enemies. Remember I said the cycle? This is the first bit. They would be oppressed by the people around them. They would cry out to God and he would hear them. Why? Because God is gracious. He would hear them and he would raise up a judge who would save them. So this is the first part of the cycle, going around our ice cream cone. I, I like to go clockwise. Do you like to go clockwise? I go clockwise. So I'm trying to do clockwise for you. The judge would be raised up. He then would uh, go to war, free them from their oppressors, and they would be free. And while the judge was alive, they would be okay. But then the judge would die. So we're about quarter two now on the clock face. When the judge dies, they then forget what God has done for them and his ways and they go back to doing whatever they want, the nation. And so they get oppressed again 
and that goes for the last bit until we get they've had enough and then they get to the top of the cone again and they cry out and God hears them. So that's the cycle that goes around. It's a sad tale in one sense because they do not listen. They do not seem to learn. The Lord had rescued them from Egypt, as we knew, brought them through the desert to the promised land, gave them these things, and yet they leave God far behind. God hears their cry, raises up a judge for them who delivers them. But just like us, they go back to their old ways. It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, I have a friend who... uh, was a third-generation minister as far as I know. And his grandfather came through college, which is what you do at those times, at a time when the Presbyterian Church was the most liberal church in Australia. He was a very liberal minister. His son came along and was completely the opposite. Poles apart. He didn't follow his father's ways. He actually jumped his father because his father and the ways that we taught and were, we were concentrating on what had just happened. It had been Darwin and evolution and that had changed all our thinking about everything and the world was all upside down. This would have been just around the, just after, just before the First World War, as you might know it. We thought these things. We weren't looking back enough to where we, we discovered that again. And so his father, my friend's father, was very conservative, reformed, and he had gone back to the Reformation and had changed from his father's ways. My, my friend, who was father, has now passed away, he was a Presbyterian minister. He was also a Presbyterian minister. He was somewhere in between. He didn't feel like he was quite as as his father and he certainly wasn't like his grandfather. He was in between. He was finding his own ways. Generations change and there's no way that my attitudes are the same attitudes that my father had nor my grandfather. In the church, what has often happened is when we find the truth and we love it and we like it, A generation later, we start to slip from it, and it's the same here. We always have to be going back to what God says because if we don't, we'll get stuck in our generation and we'll move further away from what God has said to us. That's what's happening in Israel. They've slipped. They forget. They no longer remember the promises of God And so we end up in this dreadful cycle. It's a terrible picture of disobedience, which is at the core of judges. As the nation spirals away from God on a spiral downwards, it's a time of great compromise. In one sense, the end of Deuteronomy warned us, told us that this is where they were going And the book of Judges picks up, when you go there, these are the sort of things that happen. And that explains the strangeness of the book of Judges. Because when you abandon 
the ways of God, you never know where you could end up. And the end of the book, I assure you, is a horror show. Judges chapter 3, verses 7 to 11, introduces us to the archetype, the hero, the hero of pretty much the ideal judge. His name is Othniel. The same pattern is here, but Othniel is who he is. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, chapter 3, verse 7. They forgot their Lord, their God, and served other gods, the the Baals and the Asherahs. The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishayathim. It's hard to say, isn't it? Cushan Rishayathim, king of Aram Naharaim, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. But when they cried out, the Lord raised up a deliverer, Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. We know that name, don't we? Caleb from somewhere. Um, Who saved them. The spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he became Israel's judge and he went to war. The Lord gave Cushan Rishayathim, king of Aram, into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him. So the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel, son of Kenan, Kenaz, died. <clears throat> There's that pattern. Remember the circle as we go around the ice, ice cream cone? They're uh, under oppression. They've abandoned God. They're under oppression. They then cry out to God, who raises up Othniel, who then God equips and powers. He delivers them. You get to this part of the thing where they're no longer under oppression and they live in 40, in a term, in this case, 40 years of peace from the oppression of the others. And when he dies, that all finishes and they forget the ways of the Lord and around the circle we go again. But Othniel is a brave man. You see that in chapter 1. Verses 12 to 13, he's a man of noble character. He's a man who does everything right. He's married to the right person. He's Caleb's brother. He's a faithful Israelite. He is the one whom God uses. He raises up and God, Othniel does what God tells him to do. And God is able to deliver them, able to help them. In any situation, they don't have to be the most powerful. They don't have to come up with any schemes. God is with you. You will triumph. He is the ideal. He is the model. Interestingly enough, the the smallest amount is given about him because he's so ideal. Isn't that interesting? But the next judge will show us in chapter 3, verses 12 to 30, his name is Ehud. He will show how this is all starting to go down the cone. Remember the cone? We're going to spiral down. All right. There's all right. There's the spiral. There's the spiral. So we've gone around in Othniel. That's the spiral. That's the top of the cone. The only thing that diagram doesn't show you is that the cone goes down like that. But remember that. Chapter 3, verses 12 to 30 is Ehud, and I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to summarise it. Ehud, once again, the Israelites do evil. (laughs) There's Caleb in this story, isn't it? 
Once again, the Israelites do the wrong thing. They do the wrong thing. And then the people who come and oppress them in this case is a man called Eglon, king of Moab, and he rules over Israel for 18 years of oppression, 18 years. The Israelites then cry out to God. I don't know how I did that. Israelites cry out to the Lord and he hears them and he raised up a man. And this man in this part of chapter, the next story, is Ehud, E-H-U-D. I've never met an Ehud. I don't know why. He is a left-handed man, an important detail which will seem strange to you, but note the detail. He is a Benjamite. He is uh, on a mission. He is sent by the Israelites to Eglon, the king of Moab, and he's sent to pay tribute. Do you know what pay tribute means? He's gone there to say how great you are. Thank you. Here is a gift from our people to because we worship you. and So he, that's why he's gone. Notice that mission. Has God told anyone to go on a secretive mission? The answer is no. He had gone to Eglon, who is the king of Moab, and he finds Eglon, and Eglon is an enormous man. Now, fat shaming is something we're not allowed to do anymore, and we don't do, and that's a terrible thing. But in this story, it's a bit like uh, Laurel and... Hardy, it's a bit like Abbott and can you think of any other characters? The truth is history has often la- uh, laughed at very large people. They use them as comedy. And in this story, Eglon is, makes Laurel and Hardy look small, it's probably the, both of them together and then some. He is a very big man. Ehud goes, he pays his tribute, and then he leaves. But on the way back, he actually doubles back and says, ah, I actually forgot I have a secret message for you, O king. So he goes back to the king, Eglon, who receives him back. And he says, I have a secret message for you. The king says, quiet, I need to listen to this man, leave. And all the attendants left. Now he's doing that because, you know, Ehud's brought the gift and he's trusting him. Ehud then approaches him. But Ehud is a man who's come dressed in a strange way that enables him to hide the big sword that he's made. About a metre and a, a foot and a half. Does anyone know how big a foot and a half is? How big is a foot and a half? Is that too small? You know, I'm I'm a meter guy. You know, you know. Actually, I I can't. When it comes to measurements, I'm a minister. I have no clue what I'm talking about. Practicalities. It's past me. But anyway, about about that sort of thing. Yeah. Anyway, a, a foot and a half sword, and the detail that the story gives you is that Ehud hides it on his left thigh. Now, 
uh, sorry, his right on his right. He hides it because his stress enables him to hide it. And it's important detail where it's hidden on his right thigh. He says, when he approaches the king, I have a message from you. And as the king rose from the seat, he had drew with his left hand. Remember, we were told he was left handed. He drew from his left hand the sword from his right thigh and plunged it straight into the king. The detail is given is that Eglon is such a big guy that when the sword goes in, it disappears. Handle and all, you can't find it. You're sitting there and you're going, what on earth are we talking about? It is an odd story. It's a comic story. Eglon is a strangely comic figure. He's one of those big people that we used to laugh at. He's someone who's easily deceived. He's not very smart. He, his attendants and all, aren't too clever because in the story what then happens as he plunges it into him, he then, because the doors are locked, he locks the doors, he then sneaks out over the balcony and gets away. Meanwhile, Eglon's attendants who were asked to leave are on the outside going, I wonder what's going on. He's taking a long time. I know. He must be going to the toilet. Now, I don't know. that We don't tend not to say the word toilet too much from up the front or lavatory or anything like that. It's comical. He's relieving himself. So we'll leave him. Don't bother him. And they left him. And they left him. And they left him. And then eventually they thought, gee, he's taken a long time. Must, be, must have had a bad curry. That's not in the story. That's me. Sorry. They waited and waited and eventually they got a key and opened the doors and they found what had happened. Mean, by this time, Ehud is a long way away and he goes back to the people, blows a trumpet and they go and fight them because they're leaderless, they're in disarray and they conquer them. The land has peace for 80 years in this sense and then the same thing happens again and again. But notice how in the previous story, in the ideal guy, he's an ideal guy who just goes and does what God does. But in this circumstance, everything about it is strange. The king comes across as a basically a gullible incompetent, a bumbling incompetent, and so are his attendants, so is his troops. Who is Ehud? Ehud's a man who is a man of deception. I know who is left-handed here. I don't mean to pick on you, but I do love you and I don't want to hurt you. So do understand this. Just as in before my time they would bang you on a ruler on your left hand to stop you being left-handed, in this culture you aren't left-handed. You can't be. So it's an important detail 
that Ehud is a left-handed man. That's impossible. And it's an important detail how he gets in and stabs uh, the king because he hides it on his right thigh. You can only get to it from your left hand. You can't get from your right hand, which is the hand you would expect. Ehud is underhanded. He is a deceptive who does the unexpected. He tells lies. He gets he just, everything about him is unex, un, is deceptive. He is not the ideal judge. And remember what I said: the cycle happens. But as we go down, and as the nation moves further away from God, so even the judges befit whom the people are. They also don't fit the actual standard that God would want. Ehud is a man who does God's ways, but he does it in his own devious plans. That's a real trap. You're going to see that that as we go on, as the people go further and further away, the judge will often look odder and odder and odder. You want to see how odd they get? Look at Samson. How, what are we doing reading this book? Okay. <laughs> how does this apply? God gave us these stories because 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 14 says, he gave it to warn us as an example not to follow, to not be like them. Ehud is a man who doesn't trust totally in what God has said. He's come up with his own ways to achieve the ends which he knows that he's called to. We're told to stand firm and trust in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10.13 said, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to us all. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted by what beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted... He will provide a way out so that you can endure it. Ehud is a man who wouldn't be looking for the way that God provided out of temptation. He would be scheming to get another way. We're called to be not like these people, but to be like Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus, in the end, is the perfect judge in one sense. He is our deliverer. He came doing God's ways. If he was like his nation and the people around him, he would have been all over the place. But he wasn't because his focus was on what his Father in heaven had called him to do. God sent our ultimate saviour in the person of his very own son, Lord Jesus Christ, and he came to deliver us from the greatest enemy that we have, sin and death. I don't know about you, but the cycles that can happen in our lives can repeat and repeat and repeat. And I think just as the nation here spirals away from God, so we can, so can a denomination. If a country says we follow God, don't be surprised that it starts to spiral away. I was reading 
uh, a book recently or uh, something like that where some of the, the greatest, some of the philosophers realised that you could not run a country based on the principles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know why they thought that? Because it was too much about compassion. It was too much about truth. It was too much about <laughs> being who you were. They thought that another way, they might like Ehud, you needed to make sure this happened and make sure that happened and do this and do that. They didn't actually trust in God. They came up with their own ways. And that's what they said. And that's the way most of our countries who have a Christian tradition have been led. They've been led as some sort of, yes, yes, we follow Jesus, but actually they do something else. Sometimes churches fall into that. Sometimes we fall into that. Jesus came and delivered us because he walked the right way, the true way. His great love for our world, despite what it's like, has unleashed his spirit into our world that he might grab us, empower us and change us to be more like his people. The book of Judges helps us to keep that in focus. Let's pray. Uh, gracious Father, we, uh, we are thankful for these, for these recorded stories. They are confusing for us in one sense. They are from another culture and they're odd, yet uh, their attitudes and who we are are exactly the same. We realise that people are still barbaric. There are still terrible wars fought. There are still people who find their own ways to get their own schemes to achieve the purposes that they sometimes say honour you. Lord, we are like that ourselves. Forgive us. Please help us to be like Jesus. We thank you that he came and walked the way of truth all the way, even to a death on a cross, that he might free us from the things that held us captive and make us new in him, giving us his spirit that he might raise us to a new life, changed and walking his way, your way. And we pray that as we walk together as a church and in our lives, we would pray that you would help us to walk truly and not be caught and spiral away from you. In all that we do and say, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.